0: let's pray. Gracious and holy God, we um, gather here today to um, continue to worship you, the Lord. We worship you in song, we worship you in giving, the Lord. We worship you through just the um, gathering of this community of believers, the Lord. And now as we come to your word, um, Lord, we pray that um, we hear you clearly, the Lord. Remove the Anything that is unlike you, that doesn't bring you glory away from this time, so that only your word will remain. The Lord, we are submitted um, to you. We are submitted to your call for our church, this church, and for our lives, dear Lord. So guide us in this moment. We uh, lift this time to you. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, and as the scripture has been read, the um, the title for today's sermon is Tested. By fire, as we continue our series, like Christ. Um, today's sermon title was Tested by Fire. One of the things that I've realized is that my approach to parenting um, differs depending on the severity of the need in any particular moment. Um, if I see Ryan or Robbie doing something that doesn't have a lasting impact, um, that won't cause them physical harm, emotional harm, spiritual harm. I try to be a little bit more mild, right? So if I catch Robbie like sneaking into my special stash of ice cream, I might get a little like testy about it, but it's not a big deal. Like it's not a earth-shattering um, thing. But there are times, as many of you know, who have who are parenting now, who have had kids who. I'm um, having kids that there are times in their development that they start to do things that may be a little bit more detrimental. Um, and your response is a little bit more different. And I'm learning that now because I made Ryan cry uh, yesterday because my tone with her was something that she had never experienced. And, and part of the problem is that like Ryan is almost too. And I think that she's like hitting that terrible two phase a little bit earlier. So she's just starting to do like really dangerous stuff that's driving me crazy. Like she's standing on chairs and she's standing on tables and she's like reaching for everything and putting like crayons and pens and flowers in her mouth. And I'm like, Ryan, stop. Ryan, no. Like Ryan. And so I think she was like standing on the chair. And she was kind of like hovering, you know, because she's, you know, when they're young, they still don't have like that balance. Sheet. And all I could see was her falling out of the chair and bumping her head and, like, having to rush to the emergency room or something like that. And so in, in, in a very fearful response, I said, Ryan, sit down like I would never done before. And she started crying. Um, and I was sad that she was crying, but I was also happy that she sat down. Because (laughs) because I didn't I would rather have her crying in this moment and me have the ability to console her later than to watch her tumble off the chair um, and have to console her in the emergency room. And so this letter, in the same way that Paul um, has written to the Corinthian church, uh, very similar to a parent that's caring for a child. Paul has now kind of turned and shifted his tone in this letter because he sees the Corinthian church uh, headed down a path of destruction. Um, they were headed for self-destruction and he has started the letter off very mildly and, you know, kind of giving them some really nice, soft salutations. But he had gotten to chapter three and he was at a point where he had to stop them because what they were doing was causing harm, not only to themselves, but to the church. And in a very parent-like fashion, Paul starts to uh, offer some pretty strong rebuke. Um, Very early on in chapter 3, he just comes out of the gates and he says, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. Ouch. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? One of the things that we see. I'm sorry, I just noticed how small the typing is. That was. (laughs) This is what happens when I do the PowerPoint. I'm so sorry about that. (laughs) I'm glad I read it. But one of the first things you see in this first section of the text, these first four verses, is that what Paul is starting to have them understand is that our spiritual maturity is reflected in our response to the gospel message. Our spiritual maturity is reflected in our response to the gospel message. When Paul said that he gave them milk and not meat, it was more about their response than it was about what Paul offered. Because there wasn't like this multi-layered, multi-tiered um, gospel message that he was giving. It wasn't like he came and said, okay, I'm going to give them part one today Jesus was born. And I'm going to come back because they're not ready. No, Paul came with the entirety of the gospel message. which was that Jesus Christ died on the cross and that our ministry should be shaped by the ministry of the cross. He, he came and he delivered that message to them. And the reason that he was saying that they were immature was because of how they responded to the message. Because like a child, instead of taking the message of the cross and allowing it to be their guiding principles, instead of taking the message of the cross and allowing it to be what set them free from the thoughts and the practices of the world, they actually use the assembly of believers to to re-oppress The folks that the Lord has just freed through the message of the cross. What do I mean? If you think about little children, before we parent them correctly and they grow up to be healthy, emotional, um, well-adjusted youth, right? Because we're all amazing parents. Children can be extremely self-centered. It's all about what they want in the moment. Like they don't have impulse control. They don't have any control of their desires. They'll just eat until they get sick. They'll play until they pass out. You know, it's me, me, me. It's mine. You, you guys act like you ain't never had kids before. I mean, <laughs> you, you, you know what I mean? Like like kids is kind of it's all about like what what they want. Right. And so the Corinthian church was kind of acting out in the same way. They had been given spiritual gifts. They had been given this ministry of the the church. And what they started arguing about was who was better because they were connected to who, who was better because they had certain gifts. And this gift was better than this gift. And this gift was better than that gift and all these different things. And so Paul is looking back as he is hearing reports from the different folks in the area who are sending him letters saying like, hey, you know, that church of Corinth that you started? They're going crazy. Here's what they're doing over there. And so now he's responding by saying, there was immaturity there when I came and I'm still hearing that there's immaturity happen. And the reason that I see the immaturity is based on how you all responded to the gospel. Because you didn't use the gospel to set you free. You used the gospel to oppress. You didn't use the gospel to spread the love of Jesus Christ. You used the gospel to cause separation. And so now you're running around and you're jealous and you're angry and you're competing and you're pitting one against each other like a bunch of kids. Anybody have those memories of being on the playground? It's like, oh, well, you know, he's a better basketball player than you. What are you going to do about it? So all this stuff is happening and Paul is sitting back like, this is the church that I started in the name of Jesus Christ and this is what you all are doing, and so Paul comes right out the gate in the first four verses, saying like, "Listen, you were immature when I met you. You're still immature now. Here is how I see the immaturity." And Paul is is is, is discouraged. Paul is upset because he realizes if this isn't rectified now, that tra- the trajectory that the church is headed is not one that's going to glorify God. It's not a trajectory that will bring more people to Christ and bring more people into a cruciform lives where they are willing to live sacrificially for the sake and the message of the cross. And so Paul has to stop it. And he starts this this part of the letter off with very strong words by saying, I gave you milk, not meat. You, 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 are, wor- you, you, you are worldly, there's quarreling among you and this is not what the church looks like. You guys are acting like humans when you should be acting like people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. And what is coming out of your actions is not Holy Spirit guided actions. Brothers and sisters, what Paul is trying to get us to understand in this particular part is that more than what we say, or more than how we identify ourselves, you can tell a spiritually mature person by how they live out the message of the gospel. You can quote all the scriptures that you want to quote. You can show up to service every Sunday. But if your life is not conformed to the message of the cross, then you have not reached spiritual maturity and it will show. The next thing we see is this. If we read on verses 5 through 9, it says... What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his task, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it. But God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field and God's building. The next thing that we see is that our growth is the result of God's will, not our giftedness. That our growth is the result of God's will and not our own giftedness. I remember when I first started preaching years ago. And I would listen to like T.D. Jakes and uh, Bishop Noel Jones and uh, Dr. Kenneth Omer and all of these guys. You know, these guys were amazing preachers and they had these really amazing ministries. And I would listen to their sermons. And what I started realizing is that I began to mimic their preaching styles. Because I was so impressed by how they preached, and I was so impressed by the result of their ministry, that I think I began to feel like if I could mimic what they were doing, if I could uh, reflect what they were doing, then the, I would have those same re, same results. And I told y'all before, like, I grew up, you know, I'm black, so I grew up in the black church. My dad's a pastor. My dad's super charismatic, right? And so if you know anything about, like, um, like black preaching, you know, like, one of the things that's really... Um, a part of a lot of black preaching in certain contexts is this thing that we call hooping. And it's this, and it's this celebratory aspect of preaching that kind of happens to, you know, happens at the end, you know, of the mess, at the end of the service. And it really, you know, it's a lot of inspiration and a lot of excitement. And my dad just has this hoop that is like, <laughs> do it, do it. I can't. <laughs> You know, and it's funny because when I was a kid, like I would sit in the choir saying I would like make, cause I would like I like, I knew his rhythm like you know down to the second, so I'd be there and I'd be like mimicking him or whatever, and I could never quite do it. So I knew I wasn't supposed to be anyway. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I I, I remember. You know, when I first started preaching and just kind of seeing like people didn't respond to my preaching that same way. Because, you know, people would be like, oh, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. And, you know, people, it'd be and standing up all over the room and I would evaluate myself by the fact that people didn't respond that way. But then I would have these moments where and I'm not like fishing for like compliments or anything like that. So please don't. <laughs> but 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 I would have these moments when like after service or, you know, a week or so later, somebody would come and say like, hey, you know, something that you said stuck with me or something that you said challenged me or oh, I didn't agree with something that you said. Like, can we have a conversation? And I started seeing that like God was, was using me in a different way. And so part of why I stopped listening to other preachers was because I wanted to develop my own voice and my own style so I can get comfortable with that because I realized that it wasn't as much about me as it was about what God was doing if I was allowing him to use my gifts the way that he wanted me to. And so because I, because I stopped mimicking, then God started using me in a different way. And in the very same way, so I had to realize that I had to stop competing and wanting to mimic what other people were doing. And in the same way, the Corinthians were kind of trying to compete or create this competition between Paul and Apollos. And, you know, and and some of the commentators said that there was even folks that were challenging whether or not Paul was an effective communicator. Which is crazy to me, because when I read the Pauline letters, it's kind of like, man, this guy was was brilliant. So it's kind of like, what in the world was Apollos doing? Right. Like how in the world was this guy preaching if people were saying like, oh, like, Paul, you're so apart because it's the Paulist guys like off the chain. Right. So they're trying to they're trying to create this competition between these two leaders. And what Paul is saying is, listen, there is no competition. There, there is no comparison. There is no like. You're, you're not gonna get me to step outside of the character and the person that God has called me to because what you all are missing, because you're immature, right? Because you're babes in Christ, what you're missing is actually what He and I are doing are meant to complement each other and not compete. That's why He says like, so He's like, I, I, I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. And then God granted the growth. I planted the seed upon this water that God granted the growth. And so it's this realization that all the different gifts that we have, all the different things that we bring together is not about competition. It's not about fighting each other. It's not about like which one is better than the other one. It's the reality that if we submit to God, the gifts that he has put inside of us, when they work together, then he grants the growth. And so, and so the, the, the Sunday school teacher and the confirmation teacher and the choir singer and the worship director and the sound folks and the volunteers in the kitchen and the folks who put the baby bake sale together, all of these folks are bringing something together for the good of the kingdom that God is then blessing and adding the growth to it. And so the reality of the fact is that no matter how good I think I am, at any moment, God can replace me with somebody else. No, no matter how amazing or how great that we think we are at what we do, that God just needs a willing servant. And, 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 and as we become more mature in our faith, what we start to realize is that there's not one thing that's more important than the other as much as it is figuring out how all of these things work together for the glory of God, for the work of the kingdom. And when we realize that it is God that grants the growth, we submit ourselves to God in different ways. One of the things that I that 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 always bothered me is when I would hear people say, well, I don't have anything to offer. You know, all all I do is this. Well, if all you do is bake. There's a blessing in the bacon. There's a blessing in the love and the energy and the time that went into into baking the cake that you brought to the church that somebody purchased and donated money to to help somebody get to camp. There, there, there's a blessing in the cake that the pastor took home after service and cut a piece of, and took his after Sunday Sunday nap with a nice piece of red velvet cake, the one that I'm buying uh, after service. There, there, there's a blessing in your voice that is added to the choir. There's a blessing in in, in the bongos being played by a middle school kid. There's a blessing in all the things that we do that shape this worship experience that that help bring people into relationship and worship God. And so what Paul is saying is, listen, you all, I know what you're trying to do, but it's not going to work because... Me and Apostle are not in competition because we do different things and the two different things that we do work together and then God blesses it and creates the growth. So our growth is the result of God's will, not our giftedness. And for me, that's freeing. For me, that, 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 that takes some of the pressure, some of the, it takes the pressure off to be perfect or to feel like I have too much to do with the process. Because it's, it's, it's above me. Verse 10 says this. It says, By the grace God has given me, I lay the foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation uses using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what was, has built will survive, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames." This whole housing process for me actually really brought this home. Because one of the things that we've noticed when we, when we, when we chose our house, like the folks who were living there had all this really beautiful furniture, right? So there was just a lot of things that we didn't see while the furniture was there. And we didn't get to see the house bare until the day that we closed. And so we start walking around the house. It was like, Oh, there's holes here, there's a hole there, like, oh, this counter is like wasn't cut right, and oh, this paint doesn't match, and this paint doesn't match, and this, oh, these floorboards aren't touching it's like so I started seeing like all of this stuff that like needed work and and here's how it connected for me because at whatever point you call in a contractor. The contractor job is either made easier or more difficult based on the foundation and the bones of the place that they want to build on. Are you following me yet? So in other words, if the person who has come before has done really good work. Then the contractor only has to build on top of a foundation that's strong. That was done well. So it's always as simple as just Painting. But but if the contractor, the previous contractor's work is shoddy, then before you can even get to making improvements and changing things, you kind of got to go back and fix all of the stuff that was halfway done before you can even start moving forward. This same imagery, I believe, is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that, that God has gifted me through the power of the Holy Spirit to lay you a really strong foundation, a foundation that was built on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And as we consider and we think about what it means to build on the foundation of the cross, how we build will dictate what stands ultimately when we're tested. So in other words, as we build on the foundation of the church, if we're building through proper teaching and prayer and through community and through relationship and discipleship, when the hard things come, when we're tested by fire, when we're tested by the world, when we're tested by all these things that come to destroy the church, we'll still be here. But if the, if the discipleship is shoddy, if, if, if we're not becoming spiritually mature... If we if we are not a strong community of believers who have developed deep relationships with each other, no matter what, any storm or any attack will tear us apart. And and, and so what Paul is saying is, listen, there's more important things to worry about while you're wasting time on creating competition where there is none. What we should be worried about is making sure that this church is built on a strong foundation and that anything that we are adding to the church is done with the best intentions and the best spirit so that when tests and trials come, we still stand. So my question for us is is our foundation and is our building theoretically strong enough to withstand the trials of the world around us is are our relationships strong enough to withstand when we disagree are our our relationships and our discipleship strong enough to withstand when we don't necessarily see the direction what 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 Paul is trying to get at is listen there there are things in this world around you that will eventually come to test the church and if the foundation is not strong if it if it has not been built up with the best materials and he uses examples in the text like silver and gold and we know that 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 it takes a whole lot to even melt gold but even when gold is melted when it's tested by fire it only brings out the impurities and then it can be reshaped but it doesn't destroy it and so is our discipleship, is our relationship, is our interaction with each other so strong that when things come to test us, it just makes us stronger. It just pulls out the impurities and allows us to reshape and reform with each other around the challenge. Because that's the type of church that Paul is, 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 is trying to get the Corinthian church to understand that it needs to be. But then lastly... It says, if what is built has survived, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. My my desire for us is to be a a, a body of believers that can withstand tests and trials of any nature and be the better for it. Because I don't want to just settle for being saved. I don't, I don't want to just get in through what they say, get in through the skin of your teeth. I don't, I don't want to just make it. What does it look like for us to be so cohesive, to be so centered around the cross and the word of God that we strive even through trials? That's what we're being Called to so, so our judgment then will be based on the quality of our work. But the next thing is this verse 16 and 17 says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? And if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Our work should build the temple and not tear it down. This is one of those texts that I grew up as I got older that like people would misquote all the time. And they would just use it for like any like arbitrary thing. Like, oh, you got a tattoo, you're destroying God's temple. Like, oh, for folks who are like really stuck on like the the Hebrew diet, it's like, "Oh, you know, you're destroying your temple, right? All these different things and And, and really, what they did was it robs this text of the spiritual nature of what God is calling it to, because there's there's this there's this this individual aspect of our temples. But even more so than the individual aspect, there's the communal aspect. Because remember, we're not meant to do this faith life, this, this, this life alone. So in as much as we make individual decisions, the reality is the fact that all of us individually make up the temple of God. And that our collective health is what brings God Glory and so collectively, as we come together and we make decisions, and as we live through things, that ultimately our goal should be constantly to build. And when we start thinking about the things that we do, of whether or not it's building the kingdom and it's and it's growing the kingdom, or if it's taken away from, it, I think that begins to shape, because it causes us to live into a whole uh, another level of sacrifice when we start thinking about like our own interests. Because there will be times where things will be better for the church that might not be great for me, but my desire to see the kingdom built supersedes my desire for my own personal comfort. Does that make sense? When we were living in Kent, it's probably like six months into us being there, we got this notification about this new tax that was being proposed. And so, you know, taxes, there's more money, right? Right? Like, who wants to pay more taxes? But I started reading the bill because I automatically would just never vote for stuff that raised taxes or raised fees. Like, just, no, I'm not doing it. It doesn't make sense. So I read through the bill, and this particular bill was to raise taxes in order to build um, public transportation that went from the suburbs into the city. Because a lot of the jobs that pay more were in the suburbs. And anybody knows anything about the Pacific Northwest is extremely expensive to live out. It's, like, it's ridiculous how much it costs to live there. And so it would, it would build a public transportation system that would give people more access to jobs, better jobs, better paying jobs, things like that. And so as I was looking at whether or not to vote in this bill, I started thinking about how incredibly blessed I was. I had a car that ran pretty well. Luckily, my job at the time, the church I was serving was like right around the corner, so I didn't have a huge commute. Had a decent place to stay. I said, I had all of these different things. And so for me, voting yes to this bill meant that I was making a personal sacrifice for the collective good of the community. So I voted yes. And I instantly regretted it the next year because one of the things... (laughs) it raised my my sticker renewal tag from like 100 bucks to like 500 bucks and I was like "Mm -hmm." but no ultimately that was how I responded in that moment thinking about people outside of myself and what it meant to sacrifice a couple extra hundred bucks for the greater good of the community and I believe that that's what the text and what God is calling us to is for us to say and that might necessarily be taxes right that was just the example that came to my head but um But I believe that we are constantly being called to consider what it is that we can do in our lives together that build the kingdom and advance the message of the gospel. And so right here in this text, what and, and and even inside the church, having to decide whether or not the things that we are even doing collectively build the kingdom or tear it down. And so there may even be times, and I and I kind of challenge this and say there may be things that like that individually might not be great for you, but, but may be good for the church. There may be times where there's things that as a church we want to do, but if we aren't together on it in that moment, then maybe it's the spirit saying that this is not the right time right? Because if, if it tears the church apart, is God really calling us to do it in that moment? If Paul parted the thread through this text, is unity. And so it's the, it's the building up. It's the coming together. And so maybe it's a, it's a slower pace when the pace needs to slow down in order that we can all get there together. Maybe it's some more things that need to be communicated so that people can have a better understanding of what's happening and the direction and communicate it in a way that people kind of understand and can buy in. But the ultimate thing is that if if we are not concerned about building up the church and building up the ministry then what are we really concerned about? And so what Paul is doing in this text is calling away immaturity. He's calling away selfishness. He's calling away competition. He's calling away all of these things that have absolutely nothing to do with the kingdom of God and the work of the cross that we are called to. So lastly, he says this. Verse 18. He says, do not deceive yourselves if any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age. You should become fools so that you may become wise for the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness and again the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or Cephas or the world, or life, or death, or present, or future. All are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is of God. I think this ultimate summation of the text is this. It says our gifts, our church, our strategies, and our outcomes all belong to God. Ultimately, God is judging our faithfulness. God is judging our response to his word. So we can come up with the best strategies. We can come up with the best plans. We can be the best communicators. We can be the best orators. We can have the best voices. All of that stuff is meaningless if it doesn't honor God because ultimately God is the one who decides what happens as a result of what we submit. My mentor tells this story of when he went to uh, this covenant church, this big covenant church. And this church had grown so rapidly that people were doing vision tours to go figure out, like, man, what what were you guys doing to grow this way? So my mentor and a bunch of other pastors were sitting there, and they were talking to the lead pastor. And so somebody just, you know, breaks, because you know, they're talking about all these different things, And so somebody just breaks the sign and says, hey, 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 great. That's all good. But what did you all do to make this happen? And his response was, we prayed and fasted. Talk some more And So the pastor, okay, 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 great. You prayed and fasted. Awesome. But what did you all do to make this growth happen? He says, well, we prayed and fasted. And he keeps talking. So, a couple of minutes, he's okay. Great, 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 great. Thanks. I get it. You prayed and fasted, whatever, super spiritual. <laughs> but really, what, what did you do? And so, finally, the pastor is like, listen, I can tell you the programs that we created, I can tell you the initiatives that we created, I can show you what our strategic plan was. But ultimately, this was what God spoke to us collectively for this community, and the results. That you see are more about us being submitted to God's will and God's direction for this place than it is about the things that we did. So, yes, I can give you the framework, but it probably won't work the same way for you all that it worked for us. Because this is not what God is calling you to. Too often times we look at other places, we look at other churches, we look at other ministries and we look and see what they're doing. And we say like, hey, we should do that, too. And more often than not, it doesn't work. And then we start to, because we, we took humanly measures to create humanly programs, then we start assessing the value of that program with humanly standards. Well, this church did it, and they got thousands of folks to show up. We did it. Two people showed up. What failed? Okay, well, the pastor's terrible or, you know, whatever, right? But the reality of the fact is, that there, there, there's a unique ministry that God is calling us to. There's a, we could And we we could get the smoke machines and we could sing all the top 40 songs and, you know, I could do theatrics and, you know, I don't know, wear really cool sneakers, which I probably will do, but not to, like, draw people. It's just comfortable. Um, no, we can do all of those things in order to fit into a mold that was already created or we can continue To submit ourselves to God in a way that allows him to speak to us and tell us what he's calling this church on this corner to do in this community. We plant the seed. The seed gets watered. God grants the growth. But God's response to what we do is connected to how faithfully we follow his will. How he sees us mature, sees us work through the difficulties and the differences, to remove the comparisons, to remove all the things that have absolutely nothing to do with the kingdom of God. I believe we continue this journey together, that as we are tested, as we've been tested, as we will be tested, by fire and by trials that this work will stand if we continue to to faithfully submit ourselves to God and faithfully shape our lives by the cross, which is a lot of suffering, a lot of sacrifice, a lot of hard work, and some glory somewhere down the road. Some benefits that maybe you and I will never, never see. Amen? Amen. All right. Let's pray. Dear God, we are just so thankful to you. Uh because you are an awesome God, you are a healer, you are a restorer. The Lord I rejoice uh right now with my sister Susan Casey as we got news um this morning that her mother was allowed to go home. And that she is on the mend. The Lord, I am just uh moved by the resilience of Mrs. K, the Lord, at 96, uh, with the sharp mind and the will, the Lord, to uh, just continue to just fight. So we are thankful for, uh, for her life and for how you have uh, began to bring her back to fullness, the Lord. We are thankful for Susan and for Marty and for Daniel and their family, the Lord. We are just thankful as we continue to hear the stories of folks who even recently have gone through surgeries and have uh, come out and as they recover, dear Lord, as you are healing their body, dear Lord, we continue to lift up both uh, 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 Bob and Robbie house, dear God. We are just thankful uh, for the ways that you have um, just blessed them, dear God. Dear Lord, as I I glance out into the foyer and I see all of the the gifts and the cakes that have been submitted, dear Lord, for the, the... uh, the, the students going to Camp the Lord, we are thankful that there are just so many people who care so much about making sure our kids have these experiences, dear God, the Lord. So for every kid who 's going to sign up who 's going to go to Camp dear Lord, we pray right now in advance for every camp speaker, for every counselor, the Lord, that they have the ability to uh, to care for each student 's need that that some word is spoken that helps our students make decisions for Jesus Christ, the Lord. Because we are gathering the Lord so that lives can be changed and that hearts can be uh, softened the Lord by the gospel message and that even in moments of challenge the Lord that we will rise to the challenge that when we are tested by fire, we will still stand because we are building your church on discipleship, on scripture, on authentic worship the Lord. We are submitting our lives and ourselves to you because we know that it is you that grants the growth. So we are thankful. Dear Lord, we lift up the cares of this community to you, those that are spoken and those that have been unspoken. Because we know that you hear our prayers even when we don't speak them. So we say thank you. It's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.